to the war from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, we're going to play another episode of This is War. Today's episode comes from April 4th of 1942. The title is Your Air Forces. Dog William 7 from Roger Sale 2. Dog William 7 from Roger Sale 2. Go ahead. Roger Sale 2 from Dog William 7. One battleship Legato class, two cruisers, five destroyers, sighted latitude 20 degrees, 15 minutes, longitude 140 degrees, 25 minutes, course 121, speed 20 knots, got planes observed clearing cruisers at 1350, and remaining in contact at five. The four major networks present your air forces, Army, Navy, Marine, and Coast Guard, written by Ronald McDougall and starring Lieutenant James Stewart, Army Air Forces. This is war. Following reports received from the clear, one battleship Nagato class, two cruisers, five destroyers, sighted. And now it begins. The picture begins to focus. The clay takes shape. A girl in an ex linoleum factory in Pittsburgh loaded the bomb that'll do the job. A bookkeeper in Milwaukee with two children exaggerated his income on his tax return so he could pay his share in the plane. A woman in Sagatok, Michigan, had a son 23 years ago, and so there's someone to fly the bomber. Yeah? Yep, the picture begins to... Hello, hello, give me weather service. Hello, bombardment call. Uh, chart room, get me all available charts in the area DOL. Yeah, yeah, now it begins... All the intricate procedures of putting a hole in an enemy battleship large enough to let water in faster than it can be pumped out. It's not easy, this. Enemy ships aren't made in the parking lots for seaweed by the efforts of only one man. A dozen men, a thousand men. It takes the mass efforts of 135 million people to sink enemy ships, destroy enemy troops, obliterate the enemy himself. It takes kids saving pennies for defense stamps. It takes all kinds of work from all kinds of people. Now, it really begins. Order issued from Bomber Command to 15th Bombardment Group. Enemy battleship supported by two cruisers, five destroyers, sighted latitude 20 degrees, 15 minutes, longitude 140 degrees, 25 minutes, course... One, two, one. Speed, 20 knots. We'll proceed to destroy hostile craft during aerodrome immediately. Yes, sir. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Combat orders. Please gather around the map and take notes. 
You're familiar with the situation and our target. The 1st Squadron will form the leading element of the group formation. The 91st Squadron will form the second element. And the 3rd Squadron will form the rear element. Group assembly will be over H at 5,000 feet. Wedge formation at 1430. They know all this already, these pilots, bombardiers, navigators, radio men, gunners. They've been on the alert. They've been sitting around all morning waiting for just this kind of a target. Their bomb racks are already loaded with 1,100-pounders. The ground crews have already warmed up the motors. But these men must work as a team. And this is their skull practice. Enemy ships aren't knocked off by the pilot who flies the plane or the navigator who guides it or the radio man or the gunners or even the bombardier who presses the button that drops the bomb. If the ship is sunk, it'll be sunk by teamwork. The combined efforts of all five men who form the combat crew. Now let's hear from the weatherman. Each of you has our regular six-hour forecast. You'll find it substantially correct. Upper air velocity is subject to change of course. But for the most part, you'll find conditions excellent. Um, right about this area here, you'll find plenty of low-hanging clouds, which should give you excellent cover. Um, that's all for me. Well, fellas, we've got a nice one. Let's make the most of it. You're carrying 1,100-pounders, and this target requires precision bombing. No trailing them out like confetti, please. <laughs> now, when you reach the objective, pick out your target and let them have it. And scram the hell out of there. It is now 14.12. Check your watches. Now, if there are no further questions, then that's all. Let's go. That's all he said. But there's more to it. Much more. The military pilot's supposed to be kind of glamorous. Well, the good ones aren't. This is a business with them. They don't think much about killing or being killed. It's like this. They have a plane to fly, an objective to destroy. They either destroy it or get destroyed. Now, that sounds simple. But the mathematical science of busting things is a process that would give Einstein a headache. Now, now let, let's, let's see how this business of flying is built up into a going concern. Now, first of all, you get the men best men that the country has, and you've got a lot of them. They're citizens, ordinary guys in ordinary times. But this is war. And they're taking on new responsibilities. All will raise their right hands and swear up to me. I do solemnly swear... I do solemnly swear... that I will support and defend... I will support and defend... the Constitution of the United States... Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I will bear true faith and sworn in. With the same. It's a pretty inspiring ceremony. It's sort of like getting married. You're nervous and your hands sweat and you wonder if you're good enough. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like getting married. There isn't any honeymoon. Oh, no, it's just work. Ten hours a day, six days a week. And on Sundays, you go to chapel and then back to the barracks and study some more. On which I am about to enter. On which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. Well, it's a couple of weeks before you even get a chance to climb into a plane. You learn the customs and procedures of command. 
the traditions of the service, and then one day you walk out on the field with your heart in your hand and climb into a yellow trainer that flies 80 miles an hour. Well, no, that's pretty fast at first, but after a couple of days, it feels like you're flying your front porch. And then you get instrument flying. And then one day you climb into a basic trainer, 140 miles an hour. Well, you're getting up there. Then after that, you go to advanced, and then you specialize. Pursuit, attack, attack bomber, heavy bomber service, whatever you're best fitted for. And that's only the beginning. Now you've got to learn to work as one man on a team. And you meet your teammates. They've been going to school, too. Other parts of the country, probably. And they've been learning things, too. Well, let's say Bombardier Smith. Now, what are the duties of a bombardier? The aviation cadet who is trained as a bombardier will study the theory and practice of bombing. Uh-huh. Well, for instance... And in bombing, trail is a horizontal difference in distance between the theoretical vacuum, trajectory, and the actual trajectory while cross-trail is a component of this difference due to the magnitude and direction of the wind. Ah, I'll take your word for it. Now, now, former pilot Smith, what are your duties? A pilot must be taught to handle the large two- and four-motor bombing planes. The training of the bomber pilot is very specialized. He must be able to know and use the hundred or more flying instruments of a modern bomber. Well, I should think so, but why? It's the pilot's task to conduct the bombing plane in such a way that the bombardier will be able to use his bombs with maximum effectiveness against the military objective. Uh-huh. Uh, how about the navigator? What are your duties, Navigator Smith? Well, the navigator of the bombing plane must guide the pilot in determining the location of the plane and the direction in which it should fly to reach a certain objective. Uh-huh. What about the radio man, Smith? I keep in constant touch with the aerodrome for further weather reports and orders. Also, it is my duty to operate as a machine gunner during combat with pursuit ships. Uh-huh. How about you? What are your duties, Rear Gunner Smith? Ah, just sit in a fishbowl and try to keep awake. Ah, well, I don't imagine you have much trouble the way you get bounced around back there. Okay. Now, that's the crew of a medium bomber. They're not individual citizens once they get off the ground. They're just handmaidens to a machine. A team. And now they climb into their plane. You know, there's something awful quiet about the inside of a big plane parked on the ground. The members of the crew take their stations quietly, methodically. The pilot and the co-pilot squirm down into their seats side by side at pretty close quarters. Well, of course, you know these things aren't built for comfort. They fasten their safety belts. And then their hands start moving around to switches. Dozens of switches, and they, they know exactly where they all are. They can pick them out blindfolded. There goes the master switch. Now, there goes one of the generators... And now the pilot starts checking. Check cross-feed on fuel tanks, wing tanks, both on. Okay. Mixture control, full rich, right. Props, high pitch. Carburetor heat, full cold. Right. Check the radio. Control from William Dog 7. Radio check. Go ahead. William Dog 7 from control. Frequency and modulation, Okay. Now, the pilot's checking again. Checks hydraulic pressure. Check, 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 and recheck. You know, this is no box kite these fellows are taking up into the air. This is a complicated engineering miracle with a ton of TNT in its belly. One mistake's just one too many. All right, now the co-pilot's building up pressure with the wobble pump. Now he's priming the engine. The pilot's hand goes up to the starter switch. Clear! Clear! There she is. 
Not very quiet now. And that's just half of it. There's another 1,500 horsepower sticking out of the other way. There she goes. Now the radio again. Control from William Dog 7. Ready to taxi out and take off. Go ahead. William Dog 7 from Control. You are clear to taxi out and take off north-south runway. And now the big thing sort of rolls out over the rough ground. And the transparent knows the bombardier is uncovering the bomb site. The radio man's checking the bomber's telephone system. In the rear turret, the gunner's settling down behind his machine gun. Ah, this is business. Now, there's a lot of stuff has gone into this plane. Three or four tons of aluminum, 30,000 parts, a couple of hundred thousand rivets, and a lot of work by a lot of people. And not to mention money. Well, these bombers cost what is known as a pretty penny. A lot of people had to stay up late nights around March 15th, sweating all the while so this bomber could be built, and so it could taxi out the runway that leads to a rendezvous with the enemy. A lot of brains are represented in this bomber, too. The design engineers and the stress engineers and the inventors of the self-sealing gas tanks and the bomb sites and the bomb releases. A lot of brains, a lot of labors there, hard labor, day and night. A lot of courage in the background, too. Manufacturer who stuck his business neck out a mile by designing and building this kind of plane before anybody wanted it. And the test pilot who worked out the bugs with his life as a down payment on mistakes. Yeah. There are a lot of stuff in this plane. And it all means something. It all starts to add up when the plane takes off. before we get back. Radio. Yes, sir. Co-pilot. I wonder what Gypsy Rose Lee is doing now. Taking a walk, probably. <laughs> Navigator. Yes, sir. Compass heading 22. Correction after I get the trip. Okay. We're on our way. Yeah. They're on the way. All over the world, American planes are on the way. You see, the total activity of our air forces is something more than one raid, one base, one objective. Wherever somebody is fighting or getting ready to fight the Axis, that's where our air forces are. The air forces of the United Nations. Or maybe the plane's made in Baltimore, maybe in Seattle, it doesn't matter where they're made, as long as they get to where the fighting is. Wherever it is, whoever's doing it. Now, some of these planes travel 13,000 miles for one raid. With them go good American ground crews. Yeah, there are a couple of Dodger fans in Russia right now. 13,000 miles from good old Brooklyn. What to order? Huh? Oh, nothing. Let's get back to work. Now, look, comrade. In English, this is what we call a supercharger. See, with this gadget, a bomber can fly so high that the sound of its motors won't reach the ground. Yes. I'll give you a mechanic the Russian lingo for that, will you? Yes. Comrade, Angiski, it's supercharger. Yeah. Да то, что кое мы возможили летать так высоко, да. то шум моторов не дойдет до земли. Да, да. And at a military airport in China. Now this button controls the retractable landing gear. The retracting mechanism draws the gear up into these wells. 
And this fairing on the shock absorber strut fits over it and makes it streamlined. Uh, give that to your mechanic, will you? Okay, sir. And with the British in Libya. This gadget is for full feathering of the propellers. This is a recent improvement on the constant speed and controllable pitch propeller making it possible to lessen the drag in case of motor failure. I see. That is neat. Absolutely uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. You said it. Uncanny. All over the world, American planes are carrying the fight to the enemy. And with them are American crews to assemble the planes and instruct foreign crews in their operation in China, Libya, Russia, Iceland, Newfoundland, Australia. Wherever the fighting is, we send the men and the machines to do it. And it takes time. It takes planning. Takes a lot of help from home. Not somebody to yelp. Why don't we do something? But somebody to help. Now, you take the airplane industry, for instance. A few years ago, there wasn't much of it. A few planes for the airlines here and there. Some attempts to make a cheap mass production flivver plane. No money to spend for research or expansion. And then, wham! We need 60,000 planes to be delivered yesterday. Well, yesterday, that's kind of soon, even for American industry. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some cussing done here and there before things really got started. I know, not real heavy cussing, you understand, but words. You see, it, it seems that we American are a nation of peace lovers, a nation of hopers for the best. In European countries, we're spending all their time and money building tank factories and munition plants and bomber plants. Yeah. And we were caught with our plants down. Well, things are different now. I guess it's no military secret that America is more than 50% ahead in aircraft production since December 7th. And our production before Pearl Harbor wasn't bad either. All over the country, aircraft factories are really putting on the heat there. Uh, I, I said, uh, all over the country... One question, seeing how you're one of these aircraft workers we read about. What? How about strength? Will there be any more? How would you like your teeth kicked in? Oh, no, I wouldn't. I just asked you a question. Listen, once and for all, we went out on strike before Pearl Harbor. Maybe after the war's over, we'll go out on strike again. But until it's over, the only thing on my mind is keeping this riveting machine hot enough to light a cigar off of. Okay? Okay, that's all I wanted to know. Now, bombers don't just happen. You don't just say, build me some bombers and then sit back and wait for the brownies to go ahead and do it. What kind of bombers do you want? Do you want a dive bomber for knocking off gun emplacements or cargo ships? 
Do you want an attack bomber for machine-gunning troops or destroying their mechanized forces with small scatter bombs? Do you want a big patrol bomber that flies along with all the grace and speed of an elephant and just as powerful? What kind of a bomber do you want? And another thing, where are you going to use it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's important, too. That's why we have these captive engines. Engines that don't ever get a chance to fly. No glorious destiny for these babies. They just run their hearts out on a test block. Bring number one engine up to maximum RPM. Ah, a few years ago, an airplane engine like this is... Ah, it's kind of impossible. People thought we might have some someday, maybe 20 years or so, maybe more. Yeah, now they're turning them out as fast as they used to turn out automobiles. 1,500 horsepower, 1,850 horsepower, 2,000 horsepower. Now they're making them like they make hotcakes. We'll now test for sub-zero horsepower. Turn on the refrigerators and bring the temperature down to 40 below zero. Gets kind of cold in Norway, in Iceland, in Russia. Some of these motors will be going there. They'll have to be built for the weather conditions they're going to fight in. Which reminds me of something the Nazis say. They say they're planning to build an airplane engine that will develop 2,500 horsepower. That's a lot of horse. The Nazis also say that the new order will bring sweetness and light to Europe. Yeah. Yeah, like the sweetness and light it brought to Poland and a couple of other places. Any other place they haven't visited, as a matter of fact. But never mind that. We're talking about horsepower now. And this is what we can say in the United States. There's no other country in the world that can build 2,500 horsepower motors for airplanes except us. And there's no other country that can build 2,000 horsepower airplane engines in mass production the way we're building them right along. And the reason we can do it is because of our research and our skilled labor and the thousands of tests that we give each motor. And why? So that the only thing the bomber crew has to worry about is dropping the bombs. So that our friends in that bombing plane someplace out in the Pacific will get to where they're going and get back. Hey, you, uh, engineer. Yes? Say, uh, we want to rejoin some friends of ours. They're, they're flying a medium bomber out over the Pacific, height about 30,000 feet, I think. Can you help us out here? Well, sure. Bring up number one engine to maximum RPM. Altitude, 30,000 feet. Pacific. Well, it's not going to be so Pacific in a few minutes. And there's our bomber. It takes a lot of stuff to build a bomber like this one. A lot more than just metal and wood and fabric. There's sweat involved and tears. Men giving up some of their rights. Business giving up profits. Who wants to make profit on blood? Women crying. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in a bomber like this one. Enough stuff to make it a match for the armor plate on a 35,000 ton enemy battleship. It'll do. It'll do. It's a good plane, and there are good men at the controls. They're getting sort of restless now, maybe a little nervous. They squirm down into their seats, their behinds reaching for solidity against the concussion of anti-aircraft. The rear gunner licks his lips and fingers the triggers of his machine guns. He wonders if he's going to be sick this time. The navigator puts away his calibers and slide rule and takes his station at the turret gun. The bombardier checks his sights close to their objective now. Must be getting close. Keep your 
eyes open. Let me know if you see anything. There they are. About 15 miles of beam. Okay, this is it. Radio. Contact all flight members and inform control. Enemy sighted. 10-0-3. Heading southwest. Acknowledge. We'll spar for individual Enemy attack sighted. from four directions. How do you want it, Bombardier? Take over. We'll take the big one. Make your run in diagonally. East-west from eastern. Give me a nice long run in. I'll drop this second one right down the funnel. All right, let's go down. Hang on. That'll do it. Bomb doors open. Bomb bay open. Check instruments. States. Left one, 30 degrees. This is why you have to sweat around March 15th. This is why you've got to shower down the cash. Level off. This is why you save up pennies to buy defense stamps. This is why you walk to work instead of riding in your car. I'm right. This is why you woman buy sugar two pounds at a time. This is why there can't be any more strikes until it's over. Where your profits go, businessman. 135 million people are riding on this bomber. Their honor and their future is cargo. And it's their might that helps the pilot hold it steady against anti aircraft fire. It's their power that pushes the bombardier's thumb down on the button that releases the bomb. Cigar. Close bomb doors. Bomb doors closed, sir. Those cruiser boys can really shoot. Something tells me that sound doesn't like us. Yep, on the starboard side. Any damage? No, we've got a hole you can stick your head through, but no damage. Well, stay out of the draft. Everybody happy? Bombardier? Okay, Chief. Back on the job, Navigator? Right. Co-pilot? Okay, here. Radio? Trying to contact base, sir. Good. How about you, rear gunner? You still with us? Yeah, but I don't know why I bothered to eat lunch before we took off. <laughs> what, again? Uh, again. Oh, uh, may I try a few bursts for my gun, sir? Sure. Go ahead if it'll make you feel better. <laughs> for tomorrow. 
Orders issued by group commander to his staff and squadron commanders at his headquarters. That looks all right. Heard anything from the 5th Bombardment Group? I'm getting a signal now, sir. Roger, sail 2 from William Dog 7. Roger, sail 2 from William Dog 7. Knowledge. William Dog 7 from Roger, sail 2. William Dog 7 from Roger, sail 2. Go ahead. Enemy craft contacted 1455. Enemy craft contacted 1455. Target destroyed. This is war. You have been listening to your Air Forces, starring Lieutenant James Stewart, Army Air Forces, and featuring Frank Albertson as the pilot. The program was written by Ronald McDougall and directed in Hollywood by Glenn Hall Taylor. Lieutenant Howard Nussbaum, Army Air Forces, was associate director. Original music was by Charles Dant. Next week at this same time, the four major networks again unite the resources of American radio to present the ninth in their series of broadcasts for wartime America, Bridge of Ships. This is war. It's really yours, you know. Now, the day after tomorrow is Army Day. Airfields, other than those in strategic military areas, will be open tomorrow and the next day. Now, why don't you visit your air forces and get acquainted with the men and the machines that make the Air Force what it is? Well, I'll be seeing you. And keep them flying. Stewart turning in a solo performance, and it might be easy to think if we also listen to the episode, We Hold These Truths, uh, to think or suppose that Jimmy Stewart spent most of the war doing radio uh, spots, which is actually quite the opposite of the truth. In fact, Jimmy Stewart was the first major American movie star to serve in uh, in the uh, armed forces during World War II. In fact, he worked to get into uh, the Army. He was drafted but found to be underweight, but actually worked with uh, physical trainers at MGM to get up to weight and be able to enlist. And then he had to fight to uh, get to be a pilot, and he had to make sure that he didn't just get stuck in the United States uh, selling war bonds and doing all sorts of uh, safe things. He really, he excelled in his training and 
appealed to his superiors to avoid getting sidelined and really wanted to see action in Europe, which happened in 1943 where he led countless missions and was honored time and time again with uh, the Distinguished uh, Flying Cross, the Air Medal with three oak uh, close, uh, clusters, uh, the Presidential Citation, uh, really was just an outstanding military uh, officer who rose quickly through the ranks, rising from private to colonel in four years. And really, in every way, Jimmy Stewart was a class act and an American hero whose patriotism and courage was just evident throughout the entire war period. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, kencurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.